Okay, so we are in our last installment of, of our Hope for Mental Health series. And so today we're going to be talking about um, the role of church, the role of church as we think about um, hope for mental health and uh, what we can do to help other people that are going through struggles. Um, so we start there today, just want to be reminded about this story of Jesus. Uh, he's finished his 40 days of testing in the wilderness where Satan has offered all types of temptations. Right? The Bible talks about how the Lord's been tempted in all ways like we are, but yet he never sinned. Right? He's perfect. Uh, but he comes back into Nazareth, the place where he grew up, and he goes into the synagogue, and it was custom to read from the scrolls, the biblical scrolls, right? Our Old Testament that we know today, right? They went in there and they unrolled those things, and then they began to read. And as Jesus got into uh, the temple that day, and he began to, or the synagogue that day, and began to read, he was there. He opened it up to the, the uh, prophet Isaiah. And he started reading from chapter 61 in the first verse. And I think this applies to us today as we think about this subject just as much as it did then. This is what the Bible says. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. So Isaiah was saying one day the Messiah is going to come and he's going to accomplish these things and he's going to release the prisoners. He's going to do these things. And Jesus is standing in that synagogue today and he basically says, and I'm here. I'm here to do all those things that the prophet Isaiah promised. Right? And that's exactly what he was wanting to do. And so as we think about that, as we, we plunge into that today, the message that I want us to get is we are, if we're going to be followers of Christ, if we're going to be doing what he says, then we've got to be like Christ was. We've got to fulfill this same message that Jesus came to fulfill. Right? As he said, when Jesus left this earth, he said, even greater things are you going to accomplish than even what I accomplished. Now that might be hard to believe. When you think about that. But think about how many times Jesus has been multiplied in us. Right? Right? There's thousands and thousands of Christians on this earth today with Jesus living inside of them. So we can accomplish great things today. So as we think about what we can accomplish and what we need to do and how we need to be a follower of Christ and live for Him and pattern our lives after Him, then we know some of the folks that we need to reach are those who suffer with mental illness. Right? Those who suffer with these things that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. right? And those are some of the greatest needs in our community. And I want to talk a little bit more about that today. Uh, but uh, when someone is diagnosed with cancer, you know, there's a lot of tests that can be done. There's lots of things that can be done. They, man, they start scanning the body. They start doing blood tests. They start looking at all this stuff. But guess what? When it comes to mental illness, there's no blood test. Right? There's no test the doctor can come in and sit down and say, well, let's see. Let's run this scan and this scan and we'll see exactly what you have. Right? So that leaves us with a lot of things we don't know about mental illness. Right? So it's not easy. But then we do know still a great deal of things. What we know is this. We know that one in every five individuals, adults and children, experience some type of mental illness every year. So... Thinking about those numbers, that's more than 60 million Americans that suffer with mental illness. You guys think that's a lot? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is. And we also know that the mental health system that we have in our country is very broken. 
right? It's very broken. If we look at our system around us, right, we know that one of the greatest providers of mental health services is our prison system. Right? We've got tons of people in prison, and the prison is trying to figure out what to do and how to help some of these individuals. Right, uh, And we also know uh, that some of the latest suicide statistics from 2016 say that 45,000 Americans in 2016 took their own lives. That's, and those statistics continue to rise in our country. And it's really scary that the second leading cause of death among 10 to 34-year-olds is suicide. That's scary to think about. Um, I want to read this story. I think this is really important as we think about mental health and we think about some of those statistics. Right, This whole series we're doing, it comes out of Saddleback Church. And so one of the, the folks that became really an advocate for mental health was uh, Kay Warren, Pastor Rick Warren's wife, after they lost their son. And this is what she said. She says, Many of you know the story of Pastor Rick and Kay Warren and how they lost their son. And Kay, on, on April 5th, 2013, she says... Our beautiful, hilariously funny, enormously creative, seriously mental ill son, Matthew, took his life. In the two years since he has died, we've been absolutely devastated and crushed by his death. His suicide launched us in what I call a catastrophic, a catastrophic grief and loss. I will never be the same as I was on April 4th that I was after April 5th. Rick and I have both lost parents. We've lost siblings. We've lost people close to us, very dear to us that we miss that we've loved and we've grieved, but I can tell you that nothing touches like the death of our son. My worst nightmare has already happened. The worst day of my life has happened. I will miss our boy every day of my life until I see him again in heaven. So as we think about that story, we know that the church has this unique opportunity that nobody else has to minister to people who have that grief and who minister to people who are dealing with mental illness. Right? We know that the government is trying... We know that medical uh, professionals are trying, and there's a lot of people engaged in the conversations around mental health around our country. We have a ton of them, but one of the missing equations, one of the missing pieces is the church of Jesus Christ. It's our church, and I don't mean our church, I mean the collective body of Christ is missing from this equation. But the church can play a unique role. But sometimes we end up abandoning people to the government. We'll look at ourselves and we say, this is too much. It's too much for the church to handle. Let's get them over to a mental health professional. Let's let the rest of the world worry about this problem. And let's sort of just ignore it. And we end up putting our heads in the sand over this issue because we think that we're probably not qualified enough really to do anything about it. right? And it's not that we don't need those medical professionals because we do. Right? We need all of those things, but we can't abandon our role as a church in touching this area. So today, I want to give us four practical steps that we can do right, to help people in our congregation, in our community, and in our world to deal with some of this mental health stuff. So to, to, let me start with a story to kind of set the stage for, for what we're talking about. In Calcutta, India, and other places around the world, Mother Teresa and her missionaries work with people who are dying, abandoned, people who are on the streets and near death. Rather than let them die along in a gutter somewhere, Mother Teresa had, had uh, them bring a great variety of people into public homes and care for them. So she had these large buildings where people could come and be housed, right, so they could finish out their days like this. Uh, Kay Warren, right, we're talking about her already, she described a visit to one of these homes in Kolkata, India, she said this, she said, I visited Mother Teresa's 
uh, homes, and I volunteered for a day. And as soon as I got there, I saw there were 50 men being carried, cared for on one side of the building and 50 women being cared for on the other side of the building. All of us who were volunteering that day were instructed we're supposed to put on gloves, we're supposed to put on masks, because the people that were there that we were caring for had a whole variety of illnesses and most of them were contagious. So they put us to work. Our job as volunteers was to give these dying women showers. So I and a couple of other volunteers carried very frail dying women in front of a cold water spout. There was no hot water. I'm watching these tiny little shriveled bodies of women who are near death being bathed, put in a clean gown. We had to change the sheets on the bed, and many of them were covered with feces and diarrhea. Within a few minutes, I was thinking, what have I done? I don't even belong here. I don't know anything about this. This is making me ill. The sights, the sound, all the smells, I can't handle this. She said, so I kind of retreated to a corner of the room where they were caring for the dying women, and and they gave me the job of just folding newspapers in the makeshift paper bags so that they could put sold dressings in them. She said, I'm sitting in the corner folding my paper bags, hoping that my time as a volunteer is going to go by quickly and I don't have to touch anybody else. And as I was sitting there thinking about what a total failure I was, I lifted my eyes up and I made contact with a woman, a dying woman across the room sitting in a bed. So I pretended not to see her. I put my head down and I kept on folding my bags and I lifted up my eyes again and she was gesturing for me to come over and I knew that I needed to go there. The minute I sat in the bed with her, she began crying. So she was weeping and speaking in Bengali. And I don't speak Bengali, and I had no idea what she was saying. But as I felt as though God had given me the interpretation for what she was saying. She said, I felt like what she was saying to me was this. How did I end up here? How did I end up dying on the street? How did I end up on one of Mother Teresa's, in one of Mother Teresa's home? Where is my family? My life has been so hard. Why did they leave me? I'm going to die here alone. I'm in pain. I can't stand it. Help me do something. And uh, Kay said, all I knew to do, because we had no language that was similar, was put my arms around her, and I drew her close, and I began to speak, and I was praying, God, please interpret in some way what I'm saying so she understands. I said, as my arms went around her, I'm so sorry that this is where you are today. I'm so sorry that you're ill and that your family's left you and maybe they couldn't care for you. Or I don't know, but you're here and this breaks my heart. I'm so sorry. I want you to know that you're not alone, that God sent me today and that my arms around you holding you close are the arms of Jesus telling you that you matter to Him. My hands as I wipe the tears from your face. These fingers are the fingers of Jesus and they love you. He's telling you how valuable you are to Him and that... Even though his life has been, that your life's been difficult, there's a home in heaven for you and you're loved, and I'm not going to let you die alone. So that's this, this story of, of Kay going and, and being there in this home. Just a, maybe even a hard story for us to hear. And I know it's a story out, I said this is a story about the church, but where was the church in that story? Where was the church? Because their church is there. There's a Christian presence in that place, right? Where were the local Christians that will come and say, I'll take you off the street. I'll come in and get my hands dirty. Where were the organizations that would say, I'm not going to let you die alone? Right? And I guess the question for us as we hear that today is this. 
Where is it in our community that there are people who were abandoned and who have needs and that need someone to take care of them? And I would submit to you today that one of those areas is in the area of mental health. Right? And I see head nods. You know this. You've experienced it. You watch it every day. Right? We can say to ourselves there's not much we can do, but yes, there is. These folks don't need a diagnosis, right? We're not here to diagnose, but there are things that we can do. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 through 23, uh, I like how the message paraphrases this out. It says, all this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments, no name and power except from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not a peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. What in the world does that mean? The church is not over here on the corner somewhere. The church is not some extension of the rest of the world, right? But the church sits right in the middle we're right in the middle of everything and we don't even realize it. Right? The church should be right in the middle of all the stuff that's going on, the hurting, the oppressed, the depressed, all that. The church needs to be right in the middle. And if we look at that, and if we're honest, we would have to say that yes, that is the church's responsibility, but in the past, the church has done a really poor job of doing some of the things that God has called us to do. There's a lot of things the church was supposed to have done well that it really hasn't done well. And we could spend the rest of the afternoon talking about that. And you could share your stories, and I could share my stories. And some of those stories would be painful because they're filled with hurt. But that's doesn't negate the fact that God put the church right in the center. He didn't say that when people have a problem, just send them out to the government and depend on the government and let them take care of it. Right? Uh, he, he's not looking for the world to come to somebody's rescue. Right? You're talking about, for the most part, our people in our world who are not church and don't know the Lord. Right? We're depending on them to take care and rescue all these hurting and dying people when they don't even have the message of Christ. Some of them do, and that's an awesome thing. Right? But we're depending on that. But God took His Holy Spirit and breathed it into the church at the day of Pentecost. Right? Not only do we have knowledge that God gives us, but we have power in who God is. And we're able to be those hands and feet. Right? The church is the thing that He shed His blood for. The church, right? The Bible tells us that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. There's power, there's strength in the church. And I don't even know if we realize the voice and the power that God gave the church. Right? And sometimes I don't think we like to think about the responsibility that he put on the church because it makes us realize that we might actually have to get up and do something. It might actually require something of us. Right? And then in our gut we say, nah, man, I don't like that. I'd really just kind of come in and sing some songs and listen to some preaching and go home and eat my, my lunch and everything be okay. But God really requires something of Christian people. He never saves us to sit. He saves us to serve. So God's looking for the church to do something. So let's, let's look at these four practical things we can do. 
So number one, we can do this. We can care for and support individuals who are struggling with mental illness. By the way, these four things won't cost you anything. Right? Nobody's looking for your money. Right? Won't cost you anything. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 36, Jesus says, You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. You don't have to have thousands of dollars to do this. The things that we're going to talk about today won't cost you anything except for a decision to make a difference in someone's life. It is not going to require you a lot of training. right? It's not going to require you to go get your master's degree or your doctorate degree. Instead of requiring money, attendance, extensive training and education, it really comes down to us being able to make a decision to make a difference in someone's life. The decision to be compassionate towards others as God is compassionate to me is a big decision. At the end of our lives, when we come to the end of our life, nobody is going to be saying, well, man, did you see all the stuff he got? Did you see all the stuff he had? Man, he really made millions of dollars. Look at that life. Wow, no. When it really comes down to what people remember about us, it's our compassion. It's what do we do to care for our fellow man. Right? So our core decision here needs to be to really reach out and touch people's life. In fact, if you were to sit down and have lunch with somebody who was not even like you, if you got to talking long enough and got to know them enough, you would understand that the core of our hearts is basically the same. We all want to be cared for. We all want to be loved. We all want to be noticed. We want somebody to think that we're worth something. Right? It doesn't matter what you look like, what you believe. At the very core, people just want to be valued. I want that. You want that. In fact, loneliness is probably one of the greatest epidemics in our world. We can be, ex- we can be externally connected with other people and internally disconnected. Right? You can sit beside the person on the seat today You can be externally connected, but they may not really know who you are at all. They may not know your pain. They may not know the situations that you face. They may not know the thoughts that run through your mind on a daily basis. Psalm 69 and 20 says, I'm broken by their taunts. I'm flat on my face. I'm reduced to nothing. I looked in vain for one friendly face, not one. I couldn't find one shoulder to cry on. That's what some people feel today. They feel like they don't have anybody to cry, cry on, nobody to talk to. And what we've done is, as a society, and even our church, I think, has adopted this philosophy, is we have this Americanized, this Westernized version of friendship. Right? What does that look like? Right? I think it's pretty easy for all of us to say, this version of friendship is not very deep. It's just based on, well, if you like the same things that I like, then we probably could be friends. If you agree with the same political points that I agree with, we might could be friends. If we've got something in common, then maybe we can be friends. The problem, though, is this. This is not a biblical view of friendship at all. In John 15, when Jesus has the opportunity to define for his disciples what he really thought about them, this is what he said. He told them, I don't call you servants or slaves, but I call you friends. And there's no greater love than for somebody to lay down their life for their friends. If you stop and really think for just a second about your friendship with God, think about 
And if you have to admit for just a minute, think about how that friendship started. You and God were going in opposite directions. You had a set of values right over here. You weren't worried about God, right? You had ideas, right? You weren't His friend. But yet, this God that we have pursued us right where we were, the way we were, with the ideas that we had, and He came after us saying, I love you and I want to be your friend. What? That's pretty amazing when you think about that concept of friendship. We didn't have anything in in common, but God wanted to be our friend. God's definition of friend was to first find me at my dirtiest, my broken, not in my broken self, the, the time where I felt very worthless. I was the very opposite of him, and he wanted to be my friend. Luke 6.36, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. So when we're talking about caring for people, especially those who have mental illness, we're not talking about, well, hey, I'll just be your friend as long as we've got something in common. I'll just be your friend. No, this is... It's the soul-level connection that God wants us to get with people in our lives. Right? It's this deeper thing. Right? You might not have anything in common with somebody who's struggling with anxiety or depression or OCD or schizophrenia. Right? But yet God's called you to this deep level of intimate friendship with people who are struggling all around you. They might be sitting beside you today. They might be in your neighborhood. They might be in your community. So... Yes, we need to think about that, right? We've got to reach out. We've got to help. Second thing we need to do is we need to help with practical needs. Help with practical needs. One of the things that we've begun to do over the last probably, I don't know, maybe five, ten years at least, is we begin to define mental illness as a medical issue, which it is. And I think that that has helped with the stigma a little bit, right? I think that's helped just a little bit. But if we're honest... We still have very much stigmatized those who suffer with mental health if we think about it. So I want you to think about this. I'm going to prove it to you today and let you see maybe how your thinking is, is in this area. What would you do for a friend if they were ill? Most of us, if we have a very ill friend, maybe they're uh, going to the hospital, maybe they've got surgery, maybe they're struggling with something, right? We'll go, we might take them a meal, we'll check and see, can we take you to the doctor, can I sit with you? What can I do to help you, right? But if we think about people who are our friends who have been diagnosed with mental health stuff, right? Anxiety, depression, bipolar, right? They've got things going on in their life. We don't often do the same thing. We don't often give them the same treatment that we would for someone else. We're not lining up to take them to the doctor or be their friend and, or saying, hey, what can I do? And sitting with them and helping them through a struggle. All right. Instead, we find individuals who are suffering in silence without the, without the practical assistance from someone who really cares about them and who might normally be involved. This is something we can do if we have an awareness to do it. It doesn't cost us any money. It just costs us a little bit of time. Right? It costs us a decision to be more aware of what people are going through. Right? In 1 John 3 and 17, the Bible says, and Jesus said this, If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? 
Boy, that really bites, doesn't it? It it cuts us deep to think about, oh, I have the love of God. I love everybody. I got Jesus in my heart. But the Bible is saying, Jesus is calling it out. And he's saying, listen, if you really love people, you've got to show compassion. Show compassion. The third thing we can do is remove the stigma. Remove the stigma. We got to continue to do some work on this one in this area, especially in our churches, right? We need to have people feel safe who are living with mental illness. The worst thing that we can do is allow someone to carry around a burden that they don't feel like they can tell anybody about, right? I can't tell anybody because I'll be judged. I can't tell anybody because they won't understand what I'm going through, right? They'll look at me and they'll think I'm crazy. Right? Or if I say this at church, they'll say, well, well, that's just the devil on you. Right? You, you get these messages, this stigma that comes in and gets attached. Or somebody says, well, listen, if you're depressed, you just don't have enough faith. You just don't believe God enough. And can I tell you today that that is the furthest thing from the truth? It's not a matter of faith at all. But we carry this stigma, especially in the local church when it comes to mental illness. We've got to break that down. Many of you know this is true because it's either your story or it's the story of a loved one that you know. Right? For most of my life, I have struggled with some form of mental illness. I've struggled either with depression or anxiety or OCD or uh, attention deficit disorder. Right? That's why when, when you're talking to me, sometimes I kind of skip out right? and I don't... I forget what you're saying and I forget your name. Right? That's right. I got some stuff going on. Right? But should I have to hide that away from everybody? Does it make me less of a person? I've been pastoring for the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years, I guess, doing some form of ministry. And I've been able to be compassionate and reach out and touch people's lives. And the whole time I've had my own personal struggles. Right? If I'm struggling, shouldn't I be able to let my friends know, especially those at church? Right? Do I, shouldn't I be able to come in if I'm, I'm not having a good day and I'm struggling with somebody and just be able to say, hey, I'm struggling right now. Pray for me. Lift me up. And get compassion and love and practical assistance? Yeah, of course. I think every one of you say, yeah, Pastor, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you should have that same opportunity too. And people in our community should have that same opportunity as well. There shouldn't be a stigma at all. And in fact, it costs us nothing to remove it. It doesn't cost us anything except to make the decision that we're going to live really honestly in front of other people and let them live really honestly and authentic in front of us. Bringing our whole selves to what should be the safest place in the whole world, the church of Jesus Christ. And lastly, number four, we need to be able to offer hope. We need to be able to offer hope. Listen to what God says in Ezekiel chapter 34. The prophet says, This message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep 
You drink the milk, you wear the wool, you butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You've not taken care of the weak. You've not tended the sick. You've not bound up the injured. You've not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you've ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They've wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. Wow. Think about that for just a second, because it's as true then as it is right now. We've got people who are weak, who are hurting, and no one's bothering to take care of them. They're wandering through the wilderness, right? The figurative wilderness of our world without that shepherd, without that friend, without someone to come to their rescue. It's a harsh criticism for the church when we really begin to think about the fact that we don't touch some of these people's lives. We hurry past them. We see them struggling and their struggle scares us. And let me just say this. Most people who are struggling with mental illness, right, they're your friends, they're your neighbors, they're your co-workers, right? Most of the people are not sitting up in a hospital somewhere, walking in a corner, right? Sometimes we get that picture in our mind that if you're mentally ill, it must mean that you've got serious, serious problems. You're a dangerous person. You need to be somewhere far away. Most of the people with mental illness look just like me and you. And they are me and you. Yeah. Most of us are struggling with something. That first statistic, one in five. Yeah, so there's several of us in here who's got some stuff. Right? Right? Might as well just, just own it and just admit it. It's just the way it is. Here's the truth. Nobody can offer hope like the church of Jesus. Nobody can offer hope like the church. The doctors, the counselors, the therapists, they can offer some hope, right? If I don't take it from a biblical perspective as a therapist, I can still give people some hope. I can still give them some techniques to try and use to better their life. But if I don't come from it from the angle of Christ, I can't give them the hope that's going to last their lifetime. I can't give them the hope that's going to last for an eternity. Right, The hope that gets you through the darkest day and the hope that says, even if I live with mental illness and God doesn't heal me from it, there's still hope. That hope is only found in the name of Jesus. That's the only place that you can give it. And the church is, is the place that knows it. Right, and The church is the place that should be dealing, dealing this out. Right, There's no hope that's like the hope of Jesus. And there's certainly not an eternity of hope in heaven right? if we don't know Jesus. And the truth is, none of these illnesses get to go there, right? Everything in heaven is perfect. So you and I need to be purveyors of this hope. We need to be giving it out everywhere we go to people we see. Hosea 2 and 15 says, I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope, right? Transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Man, isn't that a cool thought? There's a lot of us who understand the valley of trouble, right? A lot of us feel that. But as a church, we can go in there and say, wait, yeah, here's the valley. But right here's a gateway of hope right here in Jesus. Right, just get to know him. Let me tell you about him. So the church needs to be able to offer hope that says, you can come and sit in this place. 
You're not only going to find people who are going to be nice to you, who are not going to judge you, but you're also going to be befriended. You're going to be cared about. You're going to be noticed. You're going to be important. And you're going to be deeply loved. Somebody here is going to tell you how valuable and important you are. And then in some way, you're going to be able to feel human again. Right? You're going to feel like you're another part of the human race again. That there's hope for your life. And that's the hope that we want to offer people today. That's the hope that we want to be able to offer people today. In closing, the Bible tells us to whom much is given, much is required. All of us here have been given so much, whether you realize it or not. One of the things you've been given is a church family, right? And this is a cool church family because you can just come like you are, right? You don't have to pretend. You don't have to put on a mask before you walk in the door, right? We talk about this a lot. If you feel upset and grumpy, just come in upset and grumpy. It's okay. Somebody will give you a hug somewhere along the way. You'll be all right, right? You don't have to pretend here. So you have... You have that gift that even a lot of people sitting in churches today don't even have. Right? They dressed up real pretty this morning so they could walk in a door and hope somebody would be their friend and be nice to them. They put on their happy face even though they were arguing in the parking lot right, with their spouse and their kids. Right? Yeah. But they can't share any of that because it's a little bit too scary. But as we think about this today... We can be that purveyor of hope. We've been offered hope in Christ. When Mother Teresa formed the Missionaries of Charity, this is what she said to those sisters who served her and who volunteered. Uh, And people wanted to know, why do you do what you do? And this is what they said. This is because we work to see Jesus in his most distressing disguise of the poor. What in the world does that mean? As Mother Teresa and as her missionaries were out there ministering, they said, we're looking at these people and we believe the hope of Jesus lives inside of them somewhere. And we're looking at it just like we're ministering to Jesus. When we befriend that person that's hurting, we befriend Jesus. Is what they kind of said. So as we look at people around us, right? They might not have Jesus living in their lives, but we can look at them. And we can look in their lives and we can say, you know what? Jesus might want me to see him in disguise today. And one of the greatest disguises that he may have on is that disguise of mental illness. We see these people who need hope, right? We're not just befriending them. We're befriending, we're befriending our Lord, right? The Bible talks about angels unaware, right? We've entertained them, right? You might entertain that person, right? You may not even know. You may never see him again. But you touch their life in some way. Right? When you and I see Jesus, right, in that distressing person, instead of taking steps back, we've got to take a step forward. Right? Be with them. Struggle with them. Sit with them. Even when we don't all have the right words to say, just our presence can be so very powerful in someone's lives. Let me pray for you today. Lord, we love you so much. And fathers, we've thought about these words. And we've thought about over the course of the last several weeks about mental health and um, struggles. And 
hurts that each of us deal with, whether ourselves and our family or in our community, God. So we thought about that. We just ask, Lord, that you would fill us with a heart of compassion. Lord, to help us to be your hands and your feet. Lord, to, to not just befriend those who we have things in common with, but Lord, to befriend and to love and to cherish those who maybe we don't have so much in common with, or maybe that person we see that's hurting and it really needs to be encouraged. Father, give us that courage to do that. And Lord, if there's someone here that's struggling with anxiety or depression or whatever else it may be, I just ask God that you would give them hope and strength, Lord, and let them have just a friend, Lord, right here in this church that can put their arms around them and encourage them. Let them know today they don't walk alone. They don't ever have to walk alone again if they've been walking alone in the past. But Lord, that they have a friend father and a a Christian brother or sister, and certainly they have hope in you, Jesus. And Lord, we love you and we thank you for those things.